your state, your team, your show. This is Sports Nightly. Adrian gets the snap, puts it in the belly of Wandale around the left side. He's got a first down, 35-30. Wandale, 25-20, 15-10-5. He is in. Touchdown, Nebraska. Now, let's check the pulse of Husker Nation with your hosts, Greg Sharp and Ben McLaughlin. Yep, I'm here with a birthday boy tonight. He's going to spend his birthday with us. How special is that of you to do that for us here tonight? Just shows how much I love and appreciate my coworkers to want to spend my mm-hmm. 30th birthday on the air with uh, you knuckleheads. So that's how about this that? Is, this is what this is what quarantining birthdays are like. You know, I was able to get out and play a little golf today, but you know, then it's just get back and, and get refocused and you know. Talk in front of a microphone for a while. So here we are. Well, Austin and I are honored that you're here with us tonight. Were the golfing gods good to you today on your birthday? Just just about how they, they normally treat me. Um, <laughs> good a hole, bad a hole, ugly a hole. Uh, I did break 100 today, which, was, which would have been really disappointing had I not done that. Uh, but I, I golfed with my cousin, who is typically a better golfer than me. I've, I've probably only beat him three or four times uh in my life and uh let's just say that we we both weren't at our best today but birdie to hole had a handful of pars it's good enough for me what was uh was it crowded out today or were you able to zip around the course pretty quick well it was it was pretty jammed up in front of us so you know we would we we played three holes twice just because we didn't want to go up to the tee box and wait and there was no one behind us so we, you know, a couple of them were par three. So when we saw that, you know, there was a line at the tee box, well, just zip around, go play her again. Why not? So yeah, Good. it was pretty pretty empty, but it was hot today. So that's probably why. It is mid July. That's what you're going to get in Nebraska in mid July. Well, happy birthday! Glad to have you with us here tonight. Um, we tonight are going to begin our position breakdowns. We're going to check out the Husker running back core. Ryan Held going to join us. A little bit later on in the hour, it's going to be fun to break into that group, uh, which has in Diedrich Mills, a guy that certainly proved himself last year as a Big Ten quality back. Wandale Robinson certainly can take carries in a game. And there's a lot of promise behind Mills. We'll hear what Coach Held has to say about some of the young guns in the room, two true freshmen that look to play, and a couple of redshirt freshmen that you hope can be of assistance in this 2020 football season. So we're looking forward to diving into tonight our first position breakdown for the Huskers. Uh, We also continued, Ben, to see today more video from the weight room. Um, The the, the Husker power staff has not been shy about putting out videos of some of these guys doing some some work the last couple of days. I I think it's just great to see the players again you know and and i don't know that it's maybe it is maybe it isn't i I mean it can't help or excuse me it can't hurt recruiting to see these guys how they get after it in a weight room um you know to to show that they're putting in the work but uh, there's also something to be said for those that kind of work in silence and i think nebraska has been that team um you know for a while too where you know they're not they're not afraid to uh to just put their head downs and, and just have people see the body transformations that uh, that we see typically right before fall camp that they've made all summer. 
Uh, but it's it's I think it's providing us a lot of relief, uh, you know, just to see our players again, see that they're healthy, see that they're in the weight room working out, see that there's you know perhaps a light at the end of the tunnel for college football. I think that's that's more so how I feel when I see those. It's not so much as a hype train movement as it is. It's great to see those players just in a video form, in a team setting, in a weight room, in a football-related activity. It's great that we're doing our position breakdowns, and I got to study some college football today. Just the normalcy, I think, for me is, is where I feel um, – kind of the most pleasure in seeing those videos is this is what we should be seeing this time of year are the workouts and the seven on sevens and everything getting ready for fall camp but uh, yeah it doesn't hurt hurt my excitement at all seeing the weight that those guys are throwing around either we talked last night about the pretty impressive video that they put up of marvin scott the red the true freshman running back from florida they also put up one with cam jurgens what did you make of his look as they transition him from it was thought to be maybe a tight end position to the center spot that he played last fall. Yeah, and I think I think you kind of said the word that's transition. I think it's it's less of a transition on his body from last year to this year than it was two seasons ago when when he was putting on weight. I'm remembering, um, you know, back to um, certain situations and hearing players that that had to – and the one that comes to mind is Jack Gangwish. You know, when, when Jack got to campus, he had to add 40 pounds. And, and Bo told him, you, you have to add this weight if you're going to play at this level. And, and college athletes love to eat. But when you're trying to transform your body uh, to play a position or play at a level that you haven't yet played – the, these guys eat so much that it's uncomfortable. And Jack Jack would t- tell the story about how he dreaded eating. And I haven't heard, spoken to Cam about his process of changing his body. And and I think somebody even on Twitter posted a, a photo of what Cam looked like as an incoming freshman compared to what he looked like after his redshirt freshman year. I mean, he's a completely different person. It's hard to imagine that he's not piling on the calories um, while he's eating too to get help get his body there. But I think I think it's less of that transition. It's it's less of getting his body where it needs to be, and it's a lot more focused training. He he can do different lifts. He it's not about building that 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 muscle. It's not about the sh- the straight bulk that it was um, than what it was two years ago. Now it's just adding that. It's adding to that, and I think he's a lot more comfortable with where his body at. It's probably not feeling as. Uh, out of body as it probably did when he was putting on all that weight and trying to find a way to make it work and then weight training on top of it he he probably feels a lot more normal in his body than he did at this time a year ago and he can just focus on what coach Duvall's you know harping on to to get his body even further along but I mean to see the way that his body is moving I, I think that's part of the reason why this coaching staff was so excited about his move to center was just the pure athleticism that he has and his ability to use that body and use his hips and and just move around as a center. I mean, the agility and and the the ability to move your hips and and way to f- conform your body that's not easy to do at that size. And when you're gifted like Cam Jurgens is, you can do things at that position that other guys can't do. 
And I think I think even now we're going to start seeing Greg. The snapping isn't going to be an I don't think it's going to be an issue this year. We're not expecting all this new learning curve, and you know every game is is like a whole other world to him because he's not as uncomfortable. I think we are getting so ever closer to that point that Coach Frost was was alluding to of what Cam Jurgens can be. I think we've we've scratched the the surface off, and we're just starting to peel back that onion of what. Cam Jurgens can be on the field at center and that's part of the reason why I and so many others are so excited about this offensive line is because at this time last year he was the rookie this was the new guy and I think right now if you were to ask me he's probably one of the guys that I'm most confident in up front on that offensive line it's amazing what a di- what a difference a year can make yeah no doubt you know we have not been able to talk to any of the players since the shutdown happened in mid-march and you and i were talking about this yesterday not on the show but just in a conversation about where are the players heads what what were the what are the players wants about this upcoming season with all the questions swirling around and you even said all right if you had to put a percentage on it if these guys were said you can vote do you want to risk maybe catching the virus and play, or would you prefer just to sit on the side? And I go, I I bet it's 80% of the players say, let's go. You know, I'm a healthy young guy. If I get it, my body's going to be able to beat it, which if you follow the science, that's, that's right. They would because very few people under the age of 30 have been affected by this to the, to the lethal extent. Uh, You think it might be higher than 80% if you pulled the guys on the football team. I think 80% would probably be a, cons- a conservative eff- a conservative estimate. And, and I don't know that it's just relative to Nebraska. I'm just speaking, you know, in a broad sense in college football. And I told you when we had this conversation yesterday that I think you're going to have guys that are kind of all over the board on their thought processes. And there, there are, there are players that are wired a little bit differently that, you know, have a different way of thinking. And I think, you know, that percentage that small percentage would be out. I, I think they would say, you know what, it's not worth it for the longevity of my career, for you know the the health benefits and you know all the risk that I'm putting forth. It's just not worth it. I'm, I'm going to sit out. You know the, those those players that are just kind of wired a little bit differently. Nebraska's had a handful of them in the last few years. Um, that uh, I mean, I hope people know what I'm talking about. Just their their brain operates more of a sense of life as a whole than it does revolve around college football like so many so many do and I think there are probably a handful of them that either have family members or uh, even themselves you know probably more at risk than others and they would probably tap out but I mean you take those two circumstances away and you're you're talking about just your average college football player who um, you know came from home came from states away to come play college football uh, is healthy doing the right things um, doing everything that they can to to be safe, I think that they would be willing to take that risk. I think they would be willing to to say, I'm taking care of my body, I'm, I'm getting enough sleep, I'm eating the proper foods, uh, I'm working out, you know, doing all the things that a normal healthy person would do to, to, to help any kind of virus. I think I think an overwhelming majority of the players would say, I'm willing to take that risk, let's go play ball. And that, that's just a hunch that I have. You know, I just keep going back to, to comments Bill Moose has made over the last couple of months that he believes for these student athletes, and he's talking primarily about football, but he's also talking about basketball and volleyball players and soccer players, that he believes they're in a better place being here than being back at home. 
that they they kind of are doing the right things when they're here. And so that's why he, he has said, no holds bar, the safest place for the student-athletes for the University of Nebraska are right here on campus where they can be monitored and, and taken care of and doing all the precautions to try to keep themselves virus-free. Yeah, and, I, and, and again, when they're, when they're on campus, I, you can't control a college student. You just can't. I mean, there's too many variables in their everyday life that that – it would be impossible to, to to trace them, nor would it be right to say you have to stay here, you have to go here, you can't go here. That, that's not right to do that. When you're getting paid as a professional, I think there's a little more grounds to say this is what's allowed, this is what isn't, these are the rules. But as an amateur, as a college student, I don't think you can put those barriers on college students. But at the same time, when you have those organized activities, and, and you, you mentioned it yesterday, when you're going from – eight hours a week to 20 hours a week to 24 hours a week or whatever it is, that's eight to 20 to 24 hours that they're not out at the lake, that they're not out at the bars, that they're not out eating at restaurants, that that you know where they are and you know what type of behavior um, relative to the virus that they're displaying. And I think that's, you know, something that is somewhat of a hidden benefit of having the athletes on campus and still going through these workouts. They're being tested. Um, they're, they're, the coaches are obviously, as we heard from Ronnie Green uh, late last week, you know, telling us that the health and the safety of the student athlete is always going to be on the forefront. You know the university officials are going to put everything that they can in place to keep these athletes healthy and students healthy while they're on campus. And as long as the players and, and the staff are following those protocols and those measures that are being taken. And we don't even know probably what they all are at this point, you know, what, what they have to do when they're, when they're in a weight room or, you know, all the testing that's going on. We, we don't know what, what those processes are like, but as long as those, those players and those coaches, and even those students are, are uh, abiding by those rules, you got to think that, that the, the amount of tests that are positive are going to be a lot lower than what they would be if, those players were still out celebrating their summer out at lakes, um, you know, out in vacation homes and, you know, going to bars and doing all that stuff. It's, you know, it's eight hours this week of, of organized team activities and voluntary workouts and all that, that, that you're under a watchful eye where you know the, the proper protocols are going to be in place. Yeah. Thank you so much for spending part of your night tonight with us. You picked a good one because tonight we start our series of reports breaking down the positions of the Husker football team. We'll do that every Tuesday, Thursday for the next five weeks. We start tonight with the running backs. Tonight on Sports Nightly, it's the Husker football position breakdowns. Huskers turn, give it off to Ramir Johnson, fights his way in there. Touchdown, Nebraska. Ramir Johnson's first touchdown as a corn Husker. Tonight. Two wideouts to the left. Mills in the backfield with Martinez. Adrian gets the snap, gives it off to Mills. Mills spins away. He's to the 40, 45, 50, 45, 40, 35, 30. Tight rope the sidelines, step out of bounds, inside the 30-yard line. Jadrick Mills has been a man today here in Lincoln. Running backs coach, Ryan Held. Well, to talk about the running backs, Ryan Held, Husker running backs coach. And your first two seasons at Nebraska, you, you've battled lack of depth. I mean, Divine was so good for you in year one, but you kind of took a turn to get to him because guys kind of dropped off last year. Deidre kind of found a way to the top of the chart. But do you feel like you've addressed some depth issue with that position going into 2020? 
Well, it definitely was a point of emphasis as we uh, uh, went into the recruiting cycle last year. And, and uh, you know, we needed to, to, to get that room built up uh, with options. Um, you know, so really the last two recruiting classes, we feel like we've done it. Um, you know, we were able to, to redshirt Ramirez and Ronald Tompkins. Uh, you know, obviously Diedrich had a good first year with us. Um, and then this year, you know, we signed Marvin and Savion. Uh, so you, you, you got a, a, a lot better stable of, of options and bigger backs and everything, which is what we needed to get to going into the 2020 season. Let's go back to, to Diedrich. Tell me what, what, what you saw from him last year and what are your expectations for him this fall? Well, I think what you saw, you know, from the outside and, and what we saw on the inside is a guy that, that had talent. Uh, he would run hard, was physical, um, but it took him a little time to get used to the spread offense. You know, he was used to, um, you know, in junior college, they ran a lot of gap scheme stuff. And then at Georgia Tech, he was at B-back where he was a fullback and they did different things with him. So, you know, it's a different different deal when you when you get to a spread offense. So it, it took him a little time to get used to it. Um, but I think when you saw the last third of the year, how much better he got and, and uh, made a lot of progress being able to see the cuts um, that he didn't make at the beginning of the year, uh, but he made in, in the tail, you know, the last third or so of the year, which allowed him to have a lot of success um, and really catapult him into the offseason, uh, you know, and into uh, this coming 2020 season. So he's gotten a lot better. He's worked hard. He had a great winter uh, and then was a great start to the spring before we got put on hold for a little bit. And, you know, I've seen him around here. Uh, he looks good, and, uh, you know, he's a leader for the guys. You know, he's the only senior. He's the only old guy scholarship-wise that I have in my group. Um, but he's done a really good job helping the younger guys up to this point, and uh, I'm excited about his senior perspectives. You, you, Ryan, you, you, Coach, you mentioned the, the two redshirt freshmen, Ramir Johnson, who we saw in the four games a year ago, and then Ronald Tompkins, who was out with an injury last year. Give, give me the progress report on those two. Well, Ramir, you know, he's probably put on 10 pounds, um, you know, this off season, which was something he needed to do. Um, you know, he had a little growing uh, deal that uh, kind of nagged him a little bit uh, throughout the year, and, and he's been able to rest and then heal that up. And, and so he's in, he's in good shape right now, um, you know, going into the season. So I'm excited about, you know, what, what we can get out of him. You know, he's obviously a very smooth runner. Um, you know, he, he's worked on some of the things in the offseason, running routes, catching the ball, which is something that will be very important to all the guys, but specifically him. Uh, being more physical, which I think the added weight will help him. He had a first good first two days of uh, spring ball again before it got, it got uh, put on hold. Uh, so I really like, uh, you know, uh, where he's at. And then, you know, he'll have an opportunity to, to really make some progress this fall camp. Uh, you know, then Ronald. Um, you know, Ronald's made a lot of progress. You know, he's kind of been the, you know, the X factor in this, us not knowing, you know, uh, him coming back from uh, from his injury. And uh, he's made a lot of progress. You know, uh, I, I think um, he's a guy that can factor into this, uh, into this fall. You know, he's, he's really worked hard uh, to put himself in position, um, you know, to, 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 to be a factor. We, you know, we got to be smart with him. And, you know, he's not a guy that, that uh, you're going to go out there and give 70 reps to. But, um, you know, he's a guy I think uh, if he can continue on his 
progress will have a chance to, to really help us this fall because he is very talented. You know, I mean, before he got injured at high school, I think he could have went anywhere in America. Um, you know, so he's he's made a lot of progress. So I'm excited to see uh, what he can do with a, with a full uh, uh, full practice schedule and, and uh, you know, fall camp. We referenced this earlier as we talked to Ryan Hildhusker, running the backs coach, about building up some depth in that room. The two incoming freshmen are Sevion Morrison from Tulsa, Oklahoma, and Marvin Scott out of the state of Florida. You're, what do you like about those two? What did you like about those two to, to offer them scholarships to come to Nebraska? And what reports are you getting now that they've been on the ground for a month or so? Well, you know, obviously in the recruiting class, we needed to identify – uh, you know, two guys that could really, you know, be really good football players for us with a lot of upside. And I tell you, I, I don't know how many running backs I evaluated, uh, you know, across the country. Um, those were my top two guys. And, you know, there was maybe a few national guys that, you know, we probably never might have not have been a factor with. But I, I would take these two guys uh, over anybody in America. Uh, you know, you know, when you start with Marvin, um, you know, uh, is a kid that's very – you know, physical for his age um, in terms of, of his maturity uh, from a strength standpoint, uh, j- tremendous core, powerful, uh, fast twitch and, and low center of gravity guy that, that I think is really going to be able to, to be a good player for us. Uh, he loves football, which is obviously something that was important to us. He's a great kid, comes from a great family. Um, you know, so physically, He's a guy that that, uh, we're really, really excited about early uh, just because he comes in. He was a power lifter at high school. Um, You know, he looks like an older kid right now. He doesn't look like a freshman, let me put it to you that way. Um, So we're really excited about, um, you know, what he brings to the table. Um, And and then Savion, you know, they're two different backs. You know, Savion's a taller kid, uh, you know, kind of a, a longer, taller kid. Uh, that has, uh, you know, uh, track speed at, at the tailback position, um, but has a lot of opportunity to to put on really good weight. I, I think Savion's a guy, when, when it's all said and done, um, can be a 225-pound big-time running back. And, uh, you know, he's got that game-changing speed uh, that we're looking for. Um, you know, so he's he's gotten up here and really worked hard as well. Both of those guys uh, – are really, really talented, and uh, I think they'll be good players for us. But, again, they're freshmen, so, uh, you know, they, they gotta, we got to be patient, and I'm not going to put the cart before the horse and crown them anything yet till we get out there, and they got to be able to, to execute and take care of their bodies and, and be able to compete at the collegiate level because, you know, it's a different deal even though they're, they're, they're really, really good. But I wouldn't trade those two for any, any kids in the country last year uh, we're glad we got him, and, and uh, I really like the the early returns. What I he, you know what I hear, and I've kind of seen him you know a little bit, and then I'm excited to would be able to get with all these guys here soon when the NCAA allows us to to get, to get back with them. Last year, you certainly you got we saw doses of Wandale in the backfield. How much do you think that happens this year? And is there anybody else we've heard the name Alante Brown is a guy that might swing into the backfield a little bit for you? Yeah, you know, Wandale, his main focus will be slot receiver. You know, that that's where his 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 main focus will be. Um, but, you know, w- w- we won't use him like we did last year in terms of where he did a lot more running back just due to various reasons. 
you know, depth, injuries, whatever. So he's really going to focus on receiver, which he's really made tremendous progress, uh, you know, in the offseason with Coach Lubick. But, you know, it is nice to have him be able to motion him back in in the backfield and be able to run the ball, do different a package here or two that he can he can do back there because he is obviously a very talented running back and gives us, a, 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 you know, a big-time weapon that we can mess with defenses with. Um, so, you know, it's nice to have him. Obviously, Elante Brown is another very talented young man that, that uh, will be a factor in the receiver position, but he definitely uh, could carry the, the, the ball, uh, you know, if needed be in different, different concepts that, that, that we do. Um, you know, a Brody Belt is a guy that, uh, you know, he's a walk-on kid uh, that, that really uh, is a good football player. You know, he's, he's underappreciated right now just – uh, you know he's probably the next white Missouri uh, in our in our on our team, but he gives us flexibility at receiver and running back because he's he's one of the faster kids uh, on the football team and he's really really smart. So I really like his his flexibility that he gives us. Jacob Winemaster is, is another kid that uh, redshirted for us. Um, that's a that's a really good walk on running back as well. So uh, you know we've done a really good job of of obviously improving the the scholarship piece of it uh, in the room and, and also the walk-on position uh, walk-on piece of it is that, that's very important to us uh, I, I feel really good right now going into uh, 2020 um, probably the best I felt since, since we've been here uh, you know we're, we're there's some unknowns obviously so we got to have a chip on our shoulder because we really only have one guy returning that that had played any minutes um, uh, but we do have guys I think that can go out there and be good running backs and, and get this position back to where it needs to be for Nebraska football. Fantastic. Great stuff as always, Coach. We appreciate it. Keep guys healthy once you get out on the practice field here in the coming months, and let's hope we have some football to talk about here when we get to September. Absolutely. I can't wait. Thanks again to Ryan Held for spending some time with us here tonight. All right, Ben McLaughlin, give me your thoughts about this position as we get closer to camp. Yeah, definitely an interesting one, and I'd like to break the pattern that we've had the last couple of years of uh, our starting running back departs the team, or at least <laughs> it finds themselves in in hot water. Um, you know, the er, the early parts of the year, obviously Greg Bell and and, and Mo Washington, and, and that didn't pan out. So I'm I'm hoping that this year Dedrick Mills can be the guy for the whole season, assuming he can stay healthy and. Uh, you know, is producing for the Big Red. So let's let's start there. Let's break the trend that we've had the last couple of seasons. But, you know, I think Diedrich really flexed his muscles and proved himself last year to what he could be with this offense, uh, what type of back he can be in this system. I think it took him uh, a fair amount of time to adjust to the style of running that this offense needs. And it was, it was quite different than what he did at, at Garden City and Georgia Tech. Uh, requires vision, requires patience, requires a lot of things that you know he hadn't had to have uh, tools in his bag that he hasn't had to use yet. So I think the longer the season went, the more comfortable he got with uh, with the offense that that uh, was in front of him, and you saw that. I mean, nearly 800 yards on the ground for him last year, and um, obviously, as you heard from Ryan Held, Wandale hopefully won't be uh, the guy that's required to to handle the the business if if something is to happen to Mills. 
um, you know, you hope some of these other guys can come in and uh, and step up and, and carry those carry those roles. Obviously, Ramir Johnson got a look last year. Try to keep the red shirt on him. Um, still waiting on Ronald Tompkins, what his future as a Husker holds due to his um, habitual knee problems that he he seems to keep having. You just feel for the guy to just not be able to, to be healthy. Um, so you hope he can get in the mix. Ryan Held obviously says that you know it's promising with him and then you've got the young guys you've got these guys that that are coming in with Sevion Morrison who shattered some records at Oklahoma in the state of Oklahoma in high school and obviously you know one of the hottest names around Husker football right now based on his workout that he put online the other day is Marvin Scott so uh, it's an interesting room that's for sure you know last year they were able to preserve the red shirts of the two incoming freshmen one there wasn't a choice with Tompkins he was injured and out but they were able to to keep Ramirez red shirt that's big I don't know that they'll be able to do that this year Ben although as of as it sits right now it looks like it's going to be a 10 game schedule maybe you can maybe you can play him and and limit the games and get a red shirt out of one or both of Scott and Morrison but I also think you, you, you got to try to win. And so if you need him, you got to play him. I just don't know if they're going to have that luxury this year to be able to redshirt those freshmen. Yeah, not sure yet. I, I don't know that we know uh, outside of Diedrich what, who, who's going to be the next guy. You know, is it, mm-hmm. I, I don't think we know that yet. So I think right now you have to approach it as, you know, whoever's in that backfield, um, you know, whoever's got eligibility, it's open competition, and, and you get out there and trying to earn the earn that spot, and that includes the two true freshmen. So, yeah, I, I'm interested to see, you know, who kind of steps up, grabs the reins, and, you know, proves to the coaches that they want to be out there and, and can prove themselves on the field because one thing's we know for sure, it's hard to be a Big Ten back for 12 games and not suffer something. I mean, even Diedrich last year was fighting a shoulder injury for a lot of that year, so – um, you know, for him to to stay healthy for all 12 games and, and still be Nebraska's workhorse, I don't know that's that's fair to ask. Yeah, well, you know, while I sit here right now, I believe Diedrich's going to be the number one back. Those freshmen could push him, and if they're if one of them makes their way to the number two spot on the depth chart, I think you got you got to play those guys. All right, time for us now to grade this out, uh, Ben. Let's start with your top three running back rooms in the Big Ten West. Yeah, first of all, let me preface by saying it felt good to just do college football homework again. Uh, yeah. It's It's been a nice change of pace. But anyhow, my, my top three, I've actually got Iowa here at number one. Tyler Goodson, the freshman last year, really impressed me the way he ran the football in Lincoln. And just like Diedrich, he got stronger as the year went on for Iowa. And then they've got Makai Sargent back from Iowa Western as well. They lose Torrin Young, but that's over 1,100 yards and nine touchdowns for the Hawks on the ground. Uh, that's back. So I, I've got them in the top spot. I've actually got Nebraska here at number two. Diedrich Mills, had he been the starter all year, in my eyes, would have been a thousand yard rusher pretty easily. He finished with 745 on the ground and 10 touchdowns. It's the most touchdowns coming back on the ground from one player in the conference, or at least in the Big Ten West. So I've got. Uh, Nebraska at two, and I've actually got Minnesota at three, and I get a little a little foggy, a little hazy here past these two because because of what's left in in, in the division. Uh, Minnesota doesn't sound 
great losing Rodney Smith and Shannon Brooks who combined for over a thousand yards but Mo Ibrahim he was hurt a lot last year and still managed to get over 600 yards and seven touchdowns he got stronger as the year went on I think he got healthier but Minnesota tried to the whole split carries with three guys thing it just didn't really work Uh, but he'll be the bell cow for the Gophers this year so I've got Minnesota here at number three all right Austin what's your top three look like very similar to Ben's. In fact, identical to Ben's. I, I'm with him on Iowa. I think Tyler Goodson is really, really good. Iowa hasn't had a 1,000-yard rusher since 2016, but it sure looks like Goodson has the skills to do it, and they'll really lean on him with Nate Stanley gone. Nebraska at number two, Diedrich Mills. Ben, you, you and Greg said it all there. You know, I think he's a 1,000-yard guy pretty easily. There's a lot of exciting young pieces in that room. And with Minnesota at three, Mo Ibrahim's a stud. Really burst on the scene a couple of years ago. Uh, banged up a little bit last year, but still got his. But with him running the show again, I think Minnesota's the number three running back in the division. Okay. And do you have Josh's? I do have Josh's. He has the same top three, but in a different order. So Josh goes Minnesota at one, Iowa at two, and Nebraska at three. Okay. Uh, I'm a little different. I, I, I do join you guys with Iowa at one. So I think that's kind of the consensus of the room. And Goodson, to me, really came on late and looks like maybe a breakaway type back for them, which they haven't had for a while. And and then Makai Sargent's also a guy that can, can jam it in there for them. I'm going to go Minnesota, too. I think Ibrahim is maybe the most complete back in the division. We've seen two years of him now, and now that Rodney Smith and Shannon Brooks have both graduated, I think he's going to get a bulk of carries. I think he might be the most talented guy in the division. I've got Wisconsin three, and I know there's not a setback. Nakia Watson's probably the most returning guy, but you know they're going to feature that back so much that they're going to get a ton of yards out of that position. And just the way that their offense is structured, kind of on past history, I'm going to go with the Badgers at three. So for me, it's it's uh, Iowa 1, Minnesota 2, Wisconsin 3. All right, Ben, how about 4 through 7 for you? Yeah, time to finish it out here. Uh, I've got the Badgers here at number 4. Obviously, we all know Jonathan Taylor is gone. By committee type approach, uh, we, we heard from Jesse Temple on the Blitz. Uh, that's going to be the key for Wisconsin. Nikia Watson, as you said, Greg, uh, will probably be the first guy in line. Garrett Krocek is back, which seems like – I think his number's in the 30s. I think that's the, his eligibility uh, that he's had in <laughs> in college. That guy just won't go away ever. Um, and then, obviously, they've, they've got the, the four-star coming in, uh, Jalen Berger from, from New Jersey, which is a, a highly yeah. recruit, highly rated recruit for, for Wisconsin standards. They bring him in from New Jersey. I know they're really high on him. Uh, so I've got Wisconsin at, uh, at four. I've got... Um, Purdue at five with King DeRue over 450 yards last year. I've got Northwestern at six. Drake Anderson is a solid back, but he rushed for 600 yards last year in a totally inept Northwestern offense. And if they have that problem again this year, there's no way he makes it through the whole season healthy. That is a little little guy. And then I uh, then I finish with Illinois, who lose both Reggie Corbin and Dre, Dre, Dre Brown, both really good backs for the Illini last year. They get Mike Epstein back after a torn ACL against Akron early in the year last year, but he's no Corbin and he's no Brown, so I finish with the Illini. 
Okay, Austin, you're four through seven. All right, so I have Wisconsin here at number four, like Ben as well. We line up pretty evenly with these first four. In terms of talent, I think four is about fine for Wisconsin, but I'm with you, Greg. I mean, they're they're a top one or two room in the division every year. So in terms of production, they'll be higher, but talent, I don't like theirs quite as much, at least right now, although that burger kid does seem like he could be the next bell cow in the line of them. At number five, I've got Northwestern. They bring back three guys in Anderson, Isaiah Bowser, and Evan Hole. None of them really blow you away. They're all perfectly adequate, but that's better than what Illinois and Purdue have at my six and seven, losing Corbin and Brown, like Ben said, is big for Illinois. And there's a reason Purdue didn't run the ball much last year. Bad line and not a whole lot of talent in the running back room. Okay. How about Josh's? Josh goes with Northwestern at four, Illinois at five. Here's where Josh has Wisconsin, all the way down at number six. (laughs) You did this to somebody. You did this to the Badgers last year somewhere. Maybe your whole overall grade, you had the Badgers really low. I did did rank the Badgers (laughs) very low, so I'm... You know, spite picks come in every once in a while. This is where Josh makes the first one, and then he also has <laughs> Purdue in the basement. All right, uh, my four through seven. Um, I've got Nebraska in the four spot, and I, I just I'm concerned because Diedrich is really the only proven commodity, and then it's totally question mark behind him. I like what's in there. I think that can jump up as the season goes, but I kind of in a show me mood right now. So I've got Nebraska at four. I got. I think I'm, I'm with Austin or Josh. One of them had Northwestern at five. The combination of Anderson and Bowser is pretty solid for them. New OC. We'll see what kind of offense they have. With Epstein back, I think he's a pretty good back, and, and Illinois is going to feature their running backs more than Purdue, and that's why I've got the Illini in the six hole. I agree with Ben's comment, though, that there's no Corbin and there's no Brown uh, for them back there. But uh, Epstein's a good, solid back. If he's healthy, I think he'll be fine. And then I've got Purdue in the seven spot. All right, that's a, our look at the rankings of the running backs in the Big Ten West. We'll continue our reports on Thursday night. We'll dive into the Husker defensive backs. We'll talk to Travis Fisher on Thursday. So we'll go to defense for our next position breakdown. We think him up. We count them down. It's Top Ten Tuesdays on Sports Nightly. And, boys, we have a topic tonight I can't believe that we've not delved into before. We've been doing Top Ten for five years, six years. What's it been now? Long time. And we haven't done Top Ten Husker football plays of all time. So no no time better than the present, right? And this piece of cake, throw this thing together, wasn't it? It's really hard to order them, uh, and I had <laughs> I had twelve on my list. If we could have gone out to twelve, I would have felt really good about my about my list. I had two really really tough cuts on my list, and I should precursor this by saying I didn't do uh, a couple of the plays that that would be on here um, if they were actual plays. The Jack Hoffman touchdown run I didn't put on here, and I also did not put on the the ten man punting formation with Sam Foles. Those are two ones that I that obviously if you were going to put top 10 moments both of those moments were, were on the list but in terms of actual football plays uh, I decided to keep those ones off Austin how about this for you I just want to say Ben it would have been the greatest birthday present you could have given me had you lobbied to make it a 12 play list yeah so would you what would you do? would you have 12 slots or would you have 10 slots with two two first 
You know, that's a great question. Maybe both. Maybe they have 12 <laughs> spots with two firsts. I'm not sure. But, yeah, this was incredibly hard. Weighing, you know, what's the what's a top play? What's a best play? Is it the coolest looking? Is it the most meaningful? Is it the most impactful? It's like, you know, you're trying to vote for MVP. What does valuable mean? What does best mean? What does top mean? I, I tried to stay away from plays in losses because they didn't impact winning as much. But there's one or two of those on here. And just it, it was really hard to judge. So many great old plays I wasn't around for. Some really exciting ones I have seen so yeah this was a fun one to put together yeah I tried to put you know plays that were really impactful for the program maybe toward the top of my list I agree with you there's been some incredible plays that happened in games that Nebraska didn't win or the game didn't the win didn't mean a whole lot really for the balance of the season but there are a couple of those on here as well all right awesome let's let's let you lead us off this week wow all right thanks so for number 10 here this is kind of a general one. I can pick a specific instance, but I've got the fumble Ruski. You know, this is a Nebraska special, something that this football program perfected. If I were to pick one, it would be Dean Steinkuhler in the 1984 Orange Bowl. You know, no yep. one else in the country ran it like Nebraska could, and Nebraska ran it so well they got it banned. So just fumble Ruski in general, what it means to the Nebraska program, I think it's worthy of a spot on the list. No doubt. I mean, if you, if you run a play, Ben, that they have to change the rules – that's a pretty impactful play. Yes, and, and run it multiple <laughs> times successfully. Yeah. All right, my number 10 uh, is, is a game, uh, my first season behind the mic, and it was Alex Henry's still record 57-yard field goal to give the Huskers the lead late against Colorado. A lot of people still tell me that's about as loud as they've heard Memorial Stadium when that thing made it through the uprights. Uh, it, it, you know, it, the Huskers had already qualified for a bowl game. They weren't going to win the, the Big 12 North that season. But you felt like it was a kick for some momentum for the program. So there was some of that behind it. But what a special moment uh, for Alex Henry on senior day to, to mail, nail that one. So that makes my list of number 10. That was, that was number 11 for me that was left off. So that was a really – that was one of the two that I was talking about. So glad, glad you had it on your list. And this is the this is the one that I had to substitute it for, and there's some people that are going to disagree with it. Um, be, but obviously the game was horrible and, and and just just terrible. But I remember watching that play at the time, going, "That is the best individual effort on one play I have ever seen, and one of the best plays I've ever seen in a football game." And that was Taylor Martinez's 75-yard touchdown run in the Big Ten Championship against Wisconsin obviously Nebraska got absolutely rolled in that game but at the time it was third and 11 and it was only 14 zip five minutes into that game that cut the lead to seven um, you know Taylor I think the ball, Nebraska had the ball like the 23 yard line rolled out to the right ran all the way to the four yard line back to the four yard line so he was 19 yards behind the line of scrimmage on a third and 11 and scored and just outran the entire Wisconsin team into the end zone absolutely incredible uh, so I've got the Taylor Martinez touchdown run at number 10. Taylor Martinez showing off shades of Mike Rozier. That's who I have at number nine. His run versus UCLA gets a pitch going left about the five-yard line, gets about halfway between the left hash and the sideline, reverses course all the way back to the 18-yard line, goes all the way back pretty much to the right sideline. A couple cuts later, he's in the end zone. Special play by a special player. That Taylor Martinez one was a really tough cut for me, but I have Mike Rozier's individual effort on over Martinez's. 
probably Mike's Heisman moment, to be honest with you. That was probably the play that – and it was early in the season when that happened. It was in September, but it was probably the moment that people started to think of him as a Heisman candidate and probably the most – Memorable play for him of, of that Heisman winning season. All right, my number nine uh, is the throwback from Stunts to Crouch against Oklahoma in 2001. Uh, it was billed as an early game of the century, two top five teams battling it out. So the Stunts throwback to Eric Crouch makes my list at number nine. Awesome. Uh, my number one, or excuse me, my number Not, nine. No, no, don't, uh, don't go to one yet. That, that'd be skipping ahead a few. Uh, we still got, we still got just, some, some spots you, here. You're just really anxious to share your number one with us. My, my one is right next to my nine. I just can't <laughs> okay. read. 30 years old and can't read yet. Um, my number nine is Crouch's 95-yard touchdown run against the Missouri Tigers. Uh, you would think Eric Crouch backed up his own goal line. Play probably would have come at a quarterback draw quarterback option sprint option triple option something like that no he drops back to pass stands in the pocket for about a second and a half escapes to his right and much like taylor martinez says no i'll just take this myself run right up the gut in columbia missouri and run right by every missouri tiger on my way to the end zone so longest touchdown run in school history eric crouch is 95 yarder against mizzou that's the biggest touchdown run in school history. I've got the biggest comeback in school history here at number eight. Rex Burkhead's juke against Ohio State back in 2011. It didn't give Nebraska the lead. It only tied the game, but it just encapsulates everything about Rex. The vision, the balance, the speed, the power. I remember watching that. It was, it was rainy. You just see the Ohio State cornerback just slip and slide right past Rex. He goes all the way off the camera. He's sliding so far. Such a good juke by Rex. A couple defenders try to pull him down. He still gets into the end zone and then just a few minutes later he scores the game-winning touchdown but I will always remember that juke it's one of my favorite member memories in Husker history and it's my number eight how first about, how about our own Greg Sharp's call slips a tackle and that's yeah. exactly what happened yeah. that dude went flying by him that was Nebraska's first home Big Ten game mm-hmm I think that gets lost by some people. They didn't realize that was our very first ever hosting a Big Ten opponent as a Big Ten conference member in the Memorial Stadium. The only person that would have beat Joe Bowserman out for governor that night is (laughs) Levante David for stripping that ball away. And, uh, and starting that comeback. But, Ben, he left a lot of plays out there. Oh, yeah. He had he had 27 <laughs> tackles and three forced fumbles, but he'd tell you he didn't play a, a complete football game. <laughs> oh, those responses from Polini. Bo, crack, they ran 76 plays, and he had 24 tackles. I mean, he tackled one of every three plays by himself. Yeah. <laughs> All right, my number eight was Ben's 10. This is Taylor Martinez's run, and you're right. This was one of the most amazing runs in Husker history. Probably ran 150 yards on that they play because he looped back so yeah, much. Yeah, they did. Fox did a, a tracker. I can't find it online, but they did a tracker of, you know, how far he actually ran. It was well over 150 yards. The, I think it went officially in as a 74-yard touchdown run, but you're right. He went clear back near the goal line. And at that point, you felt like that was going to flip the momentum of the game mm-hmm. because the first 10 minutes had been dominated by the Badgers. Huskers make that play. And I know my feeling in the booth was, all right, game on. Here we go. It certainly wasn't. That, that I mean, it was a blip. But it shouldn't be lost because it was an amazing feat by Taylor and so I've got it at eight. That that was that was arguably the biggest tragedy of that game. Not only did you lose a right to go play in the Rose Bowl, and you lost to a seven and five Wisconsin team, but that play, had Nebraska won that game, would have been in all of our top fives. And I don't know that there would be any debating that. Yeah. 
All right, what are we on here? I want to get the correct number. Number eight. Okay, number eight, not number one yet. Uh, my number eight was Austin's 10. I've got the Fumble Ruski here. The Dean's, I chose the Dean Stein, Stein Cooler one as well in the Orange Bowl against Miami, but Nebraska first time running that was in 1978 against Oklahoma. How about they run that play three times and all for touchdowns? <laughs> it's pretty, <laughs> pretty amazing. <laughs> Speaking of 1978 in Oklahoma, I go to that exact game here at number seven, the Billy Sims fumble on the three-yard line. The last of six for Oklahoma on the day. He fumbles at the three-yard line with Nebraska up 17-14. to 14. Huskers clinging to life. Sims bobbles the ball, and it just majorly cooled Tom Osborne's seat. He hadn't won the big one against Oklahoma. He finally knocks him off. You know, it gives him the chance to oversee a few more of the plays coming up on my list. Jim Pillen recovered that Board of Regent. We talked about that play with Jim a couple of months ago here on Sports Nightly. And Nebraska's reward for winning that game over Oklahoma? Oh, you get to play him again in the Orange Bowl. Yeah, that was not, yeah. not a good way to finish that. All right, my number seven is a game fairly recently from 2013. The Hail Mary pass from Ron Kellogg to Jordan Westerkamp to beat Northwestern. Well, I mean, what, you, have a, you have a walk-on quarterback heaving the ball down the field uh, to, to win the game. Uh, against Northwestern, who's certainly been the thorn in Nebraska's side since joining the Big Ten Conference. That was another memorable moment in recent times. That's my number seven as well. I'll line up with you here, Greg. And I, I remember this because I was still in the studio at the time. I think it was just me and Josh at the time in the studio. And I remember of all the losses that I've suffered in the studio, I was probably the most mad for whatever reason of that game. I was about... I was one tipped pass away from wanting to flip over the desk in the in the in the studio back there. I was so mad. I'm like, are we really going to lose to these guys again? And and I just it was one of those deals where again, if you're in the studio, you get the audio probably two seconds before you see it on TV, and so you guys are all freaking out. And I'm like, we I'm like, we don't catch it. Like there's I, I like I'm not like I don't I don't believe you. I don't believe that. <laughs> <laughs> that that we're that I'm about to watch him catch this ball, and he did. And uh, the other thing I remember about this game is I went to a local establishment with our good friend Teddy Greenstein after that game, and uh, and had a beverage with him. And, and and if you know anything about Teddy and what he thinks about Nebraska, he is the biggest Jordan Westercamp fan on the planet. And the fact that he caught a tipped game-winning pass against his Northwestern Wildcats did not sit well with him because he felt he should have been in purple, black, and white in college. Instead, he's in Lincoln catching a Hail Mary against his team. So tough tough news for Teddy there. You guys remember Matt's call at the end of that? What a scene in Lincoln, baby. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Woo! You, you need to go up a few octaves, Austin. <laughs> I don't think I can. <laughs> I don't want to blow our listeners' ears out. I, here's the thing. I, I didn't remember this until I listened back to your call, Greg. Westerkamp's first touchdown of his Husker career was that play right there. So he gets that one, and I was not back in the studio. I was actually on my way to babysit um, for some family friends. I jump out of the car pretty much right as soon as he catches it, timed it perfectly. They're all out on the front lawn celebrating, throwing little kids around. <laughs> <laughs> that was so much fun. All right, on Great. to Hold on before we move on. Greg, I've had you explain this before, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do it again. When you're getting ready to call a play like that, what, what's walking? Because you, know it, you know it's a small percentage, yeah. but if it happens, you've got to be ready for it. What, what's going through your mind before a play like that and watching it kind of happen? 
you're hoping you can identify who grabs it, right? You want to be sure who gets it. You make you make the right call, and I did. It was Jordan, and it, it helped Ben because, as you know, in our booth, it was down toward that end of the end zone, so it was right in front of us. It laid out beautifully. It had been to the other end of the other corner. That had been tough to do, but it laid out perfectly right in front and of us. And you saw the ball bounce up and everything. You were yep. able to see it all. Saw the tip. Saw Westerkamp slide underneath it. Yeah, it was, it was just it laid out perfectly. A lot of times in football, you don't get that because you're you're so far away from the field in a lot of press boxes. Beautiful. You saw that one coming. Well, Oklahoma did not see black. 41 flash reverse coming though you have it at number nine greg i have it up here at number six you know you say those words to anyone besides the nebraska or oklahoma fan they have no idea what you mean but fans of those two teams can pinpoint exactly what it was exactly what it looked like <laughs> didn't end up resulting in a whole lot besides that win over oklahoma but it's an absolutely iconic play in husker history Yep, sure is. All right, my number six was um, Ben's nine. This is the Eric Crouch run against Missouri. His Heisman moment was that run against the Tigers. It was a thing of beauty. Love it. All right, my number six, Austin had it nine. I've got the Mike Rozier run against UCLA. That uh, was his Heisman moment, one of the iconic runs um, of our of our school's history. Came against the UCLA Bruins, the run left, which ended up scoring right. So I've got Mike Rozier here at number six. All right, we move into the top five here. Number five for me, I've got the flea kicker. Really kept that 90s dynasty alive. It's lucky. It's a fluke, but it was awesome. You you can't draw it up like that. Lightning won't strike twice. All you can do is throw your hands up in the air, laugh, celebrate that it worked out, and go beat Tennessee in the Orange Bowl. Did it hit the ground? Absolutely not. Oh, yeah, that thing was a thing of beauty. All right, my number five, uh, I'm going to the the game that crowned the Huskers the champions in 1995, and that was the Tommy Frazier run against the Florida Gators for 75 yards. Jim Nance's call of how many tackles can one man break. Uh, What a run for Tommy Frazier. And I think when you think of Frazier, who finished his career, by the way, 33-3 as Nebraska's starting quarterback, that's the play that jumps to your mind first. No doubt about it. My number five, Greg, you're nine. Austin, you're six. Black 41 flash reverse. So the the funny story that comes from, it's not funny, but nor, nor will people care, but I'm going to tell it anyway. Uh, so the next day, that Sunday, we go up to the to local school and play football. There are some people up there, and one of the guys that we were playing with said he was Mike Stunts's brother. And I'm like, there's no way you're Mike Stunts's brother. You're just saying that because he threw a touchdown pass to Eric Crouch yesterday. <laughs> like, so obviously everybody was out trying to pretend that they were Mike Stunts throwing that pass <laughs> to Eric Crouch the next day after Black 41 flash reverse. <laughs> That's great. That's fantastic. Calling you out, dude. <laughs> All right. So, Greg, at number five, you had – a Nebraska run beating a Florida team in a national championship. I go to a different Florida team, Nebraska beating a national championship with a run. I've got Corey Schlesinger to the left this time. Second touchdown versus Miami in 1994, the run that really got Tom Osborne off the hook. He got over the hump, all thanks to a couple of fullback traps, specifically the second one, bumbling, stumbling, rumbling into the end zone. Corey Schlesinger. You know, lots of heartbreak earlier in the decade. This one really cemented Nebraska as a power, set the tone for the next four or five years. Yep, he had two touchdowns in the game, but that's the one that gets everybody's attention because that that put it away. That that gave Nebraska the win and shut up the the Hurricanes. When when he went in the end zone, you you had him at that point in time. All right, my number four, um, I had a special teams play at 10. I got another special teams play here. This is the Johnny Rogers punt return in the game of the century in 1971. 
Uh, terrific call by Lyle Bremser, the legendary Lyle Bremser, and a huge win for Nebraska on the road against their nemesis, the Oklahoma Sooners. So Johnny's touchdown run that certainly was his Heisman moment is my number four. Man, I'm wondering what you have at three, two, and one, taking <laughs> taking a couple ones off the board here at number four. My number four, I've got the kick six here against Mizzou. Austin, you had it at five. Matt Davison comes out of nowhere, uh, jumps underneath the Scott Frost pass, uh, or the or the kick. I guess <laughs> I guess it's not it didn't come off the arm of Scott Frost, um, but it saved Nebraska national championship and. I don't remember a lot of watching a Husker games before 1997, but this is one I remember very vividly and just how crazy I went in my basement. I, I remember jumping up off my couch, and we had kind of that popcorn ceiling in my basement, and I hit my knuckles <laughs> up on that sharp <laughs> ceiling that I had in my basement and skinned my knuckles up, but I didn't even care because Nebraska pulled that game out. Nice catch, Matt. Nice catch, Matt. <laughs> <laughs> All right, number three, uh, Greg had at 10, Ben had at 11. This is my second favorite moment in Husker history, the Alex Henry school record field goal. My favorite moment in Husker history of my lifetime, at least, is Ndamukong Sue stiff-arming Cody Hawkins not long after. But the Henry field goal is the one that gave Nebraska the lead. I haven't been more nervous watching a Husker football game in my life. That was incredibly nerve-wracking for me. It looked like Alex Henry didn't feel anything, though. Calm, cool, collected. All he did was, you know, just trot out there and kick a school record-length field goal against a rival to give you the lead. No big deal. If you know Alex at all, and I know Alex fairly well, um, I don't know that he has a pulse. I mean, that's just <laughs> the way he is. He's just like... There's so it like, makes him a great golfer. The blood pressure never gets going. And so he was the perfect guy for that moment. And he was a young player, too. He was a young kicker for Nebraska. He wasn't a seasoned, grizzled veteran. So that kind of moment's like, yeah, okay, we'll go, we'll go do it. I can make it from here. Yeah. I love it when Bo was like, can you make it? And he goes, yeah. Yeah. Okay, okay, go <laughs> kick it. <laughs> go, kid, go. <laughs> Pretty great. All right, when I thought about my top three, I go, okay, i got to come up with Nebraska iconic things. And there's nothing more iconic about Nebraska football, and you guys have been around Big Red Reactions, is the fullback. How we put the fullback up on a mantle. So here's Corey Schlesinger for me, the, the, the fullback trap to, to seal the deal against the cane. So I've got Schlesinger at three. I, I go line line for line with you, Greg, here. And, and again, I, my top three, what were the most iconic plays? If you were to find three plays that define Husker football from reputation, from fans, which ones are you going to pick? Corey Schlesinger barreling in that end zone, somersaulting across that goal line against Miami, um, seeing the look on the Canes' faces after that, that. It doesn't get much more iconic than that. I've got Schlesinger at three. All right, on to the top two. Greg mentioned this one at number five. I've got touchdown Tommy running through the entire town of Gainesville, Florida <laughs> in the Fiesta Bowl. And, you know, I wasn't around for that one. So when I think back to the 90s and what I've heard from people, that play is the one that really sums it up. You know, you have to be fast, powerful, relentless. And I think a big part of that play, too, is that it proved that 94 wasn't a fluke. It really helped cement that 95 team as one of the most dominant of all time, if not the most dominant of all time, just perfectly encapsulated in one 75-yard touchdown run. All right, very good. My number two, I've got the, you guys had it much lower, but I've got the fumble ruski here because I think if you ask college football fans who ran the fumble ruski, they could all tell you it was Nebraska. Mm -hmm. And so that's why I, I rated it up a little higher, and, and I'm thinking of the Steincooter one against the Canes in that 80, 83 Orange Bowl or 84 Orange Bowl. Yeah, 84 Orange yeah, Bowl 84. against Miami. Um, 
It just and when you like I said earlier, when you have to change a rule because of somebody, that that's a pretty it's a pretty prideful thing to have. That's a good thing to say, Greg, because if you've if you've watched the the longest yard remake with Adam Sandler, the Mean Machine run that play, and Chris Berman calls it out, showing shades of Nebraska running the yeah. fumble ruski. Yeah. So yeah, yeah, you're absolutely right. All right, my number two, uh, I've got Johnny the Jet. Punt return here at number one. Maybe the most iconic play, but my number one won a championship. This one, some would argue it did, but won the greatest part of the greatest game of the century. I've got number one versus number two, Johnny the Jet, tearing them loose from their their shoes on the punt return in 71. Ben and I are in a different aisle, but that plays my number one. All right, so you go with the Jet at number one. My number one, I mean, this this one an Espy. It's the Frost to Davison. Nice catch, yeah. Matt. I mean, that thing saved the, the season for Nebraska and, and got Tom Osborne that national championship in his last season as the Husker coach. So uh, saving catch, miraculous catch, and it's still to this day. You, if you see highlights of great college football plays, that baby's in there. Absolutely. Miracle in Missouri. Uh, but my number one is the Tommy Frazier touchdown run. Again, national championship, career high on the ground for Tommy Tommy Frazier. And uh, we're, you better believe every kid from the ages of 4 to 10 were in the backyard high-stepping <laughs> like he did into the end zone and, and Lawrence Phillips did in the end zone that night. I mean, that that's what we grew up watching. Tommy Frazier and Austin said it, running through the entire town of Gainesville on a way to a national championship. That, that was just the point where Nebraska is just better than you and there's nothing you can do about it. So, for me, that's the number one play. What, what a display. That was amazing. That and Lawrence Phillips was running wild that night as well. It was a great stuff. All right, let's Twitter pull this. Austin, let's see what the folks think. We all have three different ones, which is great. So let's put those three up, and then you can put another up. And and to, so we'll be looking for that at Husker Sports on our Twitter handle. We are nine days away from the start of the Major League Baseball season. It will start with a couple of games on Thursday the 23rd. Everybody will play on Friday the 24th. A lot of teams going through inter-squad scrimmages this week. They're going to have some exhibition games next week leading into the game's Next weekend, they get the season underway. The Royals got some good news today, Ben, as Salvador Perez has been reactivated. He, Like the first day back, they were back. He tested positive for COVID-19, didn't feel bad, so he was asymptomatic. Uh, he had to go through 10 days. That's over. He's back, and I think he's maybe even in the lineup tonight for their inter-squad game, so good news for the Royals, whose other catcher, Cam Gallagher, same thing. He got tested positive a couple days ago, and he doesn't have any symptoms. Yeah, finally time to see Salvador Perez back in a Royals uniform. Been been far too long that since that's been the case. And I'm I'm ready to just watch some baseball. It'll be nice. How good was he in the playoffs of SNBL? Oh man. He he was the most annoying nine-hole hitter in the history <laughs> of the planet because he, he he walked so many times and that that's so not like him in <laughs> real life to take that many pitches, but yeah, he was he was awesome. Austin, help me here. I think he was the MVP of one, uh, maybe maybe it was the National League Championship Series. One of those was it the CS? Yeah, I thought so. Okay, yeah. So yeah, Salvador was huge for for my Hick, Hickman Harriers. Champions. That? That's, that's been two weeks. Two weeks since that happened. What's what's been life been like in Hickman since the well the parade was the awesome title. they had a great parade on the Fourth of July they did it on the Fourth of July they just they were all out. right there so huge turnout. Traffic was backed up to 77 highway. It was just any farmers fans there. Yeah, I'm sure there were. Uh, there were. I saw some farmer T-shirts in the crowd, <laughs> and some of those folks kind of ventured over to see what all the hubbub. You know what? 
Yeah, uh, my prediction at the All-Star break was that the Farmers and the Roar Lions were going to make a big run. They kind of did, but they both flamed up really early in the playoffs. The Farmers are just upset that the Outlaws upset them, and they're wondering what, what could have happened if they, uh, <laughs> if they got by Vegas, but they didn't. Yeah. yeah, but good news for Royals fans. Get Perez back. Uh, Yasiel Puig signs with the Braves, so he's going to be a part of that organization now. And uh, Well, that guy's an interesting guy. He, he gives you some highlight-type stuff, but I don't know how popular a teammate Yasiel is. Man, I remember when he was his first getting going with the Dodgers, how excitable he was. I mean, the, the arm that he displayed in the outfield, he was hitting home runs, and he had one of the more exciting first couple of, of games. I mean, you, you think about a lot of the players that have um, – have come on and just had tremendous starts to their to their careers. There was a few of them last year, and one of them was <laughs> coincidentally a Las Vegas outlaw with Jordan Alvarez, uh, mm-hmm. Kino from the Cincinnati Reds. I mean, there's been a lot of them that have just kind of burst onto the scene and, and had really, really good runs, and Yasiel was one of those guys. He came over, and the Dodgers signed him and had an absolute hose in right field, still does, but um, I think he batted 270 last year. But cheap for the Braves, cheap addition for them to, to go snag a, a free agent. And guy murders right-handed pitching. So, you know, for, for a guy to come in on, on, the, on the low dollar, uh, it's, it's a good thing for, for Atlanta. Speaking of Major League Baseball, our insider Lane Grindle will join us tomorrow night to kind of preview how things have been going in these camps for the last two weeks and as they get near the start of the 60-game schedule that begins at the end of next week. Back to the phones we go to Omaha. And John, good evening, John. Welcome to Sports Nightly. Hey, how you guys doing? Good, John. How you doing, man? Good, good. Hey, I had a question. Have you guys touched up on the whole article released last week about Scott Frost being on the hot seat? <laughs> uh, we we have addressed it a little bit. I mean, it's uh, that's a guy looking for some attention. I think putting that article out. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. I agree with all that. But then, did you guys see Colin Cowherd's rant the next day? I did, yeah. Oh, his, uh, Saying that program? Nebraska's a seven and five yeah. job and a C. I think he called it what a C C job, C plus job. Yeah. Saying yeah. we don't have a yeah, thing. It's not a C plus. Yeah, and like a lot of the things he said were you know kind of true. It may have been harsh, but like I, I didn't disagree totally. But um, no, uh, a big thing I wanted to further that on is if Scott Frost can quote unquote be on the hot seat and just take it from my perspective, I'm a Notre Dame fan. Why can't Brian Kelly be on the hot seat? I mean, he's been in Notre Dame for, what, like 10 years now? Um, yeah, I get he's been to three major bowl games, including a national championship. But the way they played in those games, they're better off not going to those games, honestly. And I just kind of view it similar to, like, Bo Pelini's situation. Like, Bo Pelini went to a, a few conference championships, didn't win any. And I just kind of view the similarities, kind of, you know, it's, it's very similar. And, why can't he be on the hot seat? And you know, yeah, it's a it's it's an interesting take. I, I wish I could elaborate more on on Notre Dame football. I don't follow them a ton, but as a Nebraska fan who's been through it, if you're going to p- compare it to Bo Pelini, I'll say be careful what you wish for because the grass isn't always greener on the other side, as Nebraska fans found out with Mike Riley. I, I would enjoy playing for, for national championships. I would enjoy it when you make a playoff, even if you have to go up against a, a tough Clemson team. You're getting good recruiting classes. I would say just stick with it. And um, I know Notre, Notre Dame is, is a great job, and there are a lot of people that would be interested, but just be careful what you wish for. John, appreciate the call. Uh, oh, no, you know, no. 
appreciate the call. We, we're we're going to wrap up the hour. Um, you know, Brian Kelly's not real warm and fuzzy, and I think that doesn't buy him a lot of collateral. And Bo was the same way. Bo wasn't warm and fuzzy, and so you didn't you didn't kind of get that extra rope that you get if you're you know you're laughing and joking and having fun with the media. And you know, let's let's face it, Mike Roddy was that way. He was beloved by the media, and so he got a little bit more of a, a runway to go. But I, I'm with you, Brian Kelly. To me, turns out year after year, really quality, good football teams at Notre Dame, and they do things a lot the right way. And Dennis Dodd does this every summer. He puts together coaches on the hot seat, but obviously he didn't talk to anybody in the administration of Nebraska. Scott Frost got a two-year extension last fall. I mean, that's one of the furthest things in the, find of, the mind of anybody in Nebraska is that Scott Frost is on the hot seat. I think the administration knows how big a job this is to turn this thing from what Scott inherited a couple years ago, and I think they certainly appreciate that. Cars and guests into our show. Dot us up on our Sports Sunday Hotline, brought to you by the Woodhouse Auto Family, bringing you more choices in brands, locations, and service. Experience the difference. Purchase with confidence. This is Woodhouse. Good hour tonight. Fun top ten topic for us to dive into tonight. Tomorrow night again, Lane Grindle will be here. We'll have another edition of the Husker Huddle as Jeremiah Searles will sit down with Lamar Jackson as he makes his way into an NFL camp here shortly. And we'll have famous face-offs. Ben will continue his run tomorrow night. Ah. Right? Yeah. (laughs) And happy birthday to Ben McLaughlin. Celebrated it with a solid round of golf out there earlier today. Another hour of Sports Sunday coming up.